Good morning again, and welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. We're in the book of Acts this morning. Before I ask you to turn to chapter 10, I just want to remind us that when we worship in song and sing, it's we sing with our emotions, that's not the same thing as emotionalism. Emotionalism is just feelings out of control, brainless feelings. But to sing with one's heart includes one's feelings. And I don't know that um, we all are mindful of that. We should be. It's okay to enjoy what we're singing. Well, not that I've noticed anybody. <laughs> not that I've noticed, hey, you know what? That person's not singing right. Not, not doing that, just making comment. Acts chapter 10 this morning, verses 44 through 48, a short section. I'm sure I can stretch it out for an hour. It's a magnum ver, uh, passage. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and then they asked him to stay a few days. Please be seated. We are not, by that kind of reading, capturing the excitement that belongs to this. It is very, uh, the, the racism that existed at the time, the religious, you know, bigotry, there's so many things that were hindering the movement of Christianity in the early days. Christianity has learned some other things now to hindered the movement uh, of the Holy Spirit, uh, unfortunately. But here, Luke writes, while Peter was still speaking in the middle of his sermon, this morning's title for this consideration is When God Interrupts. This interruption was not rude. It was amazing. It is not rude. Before us, this miracle that we are talking about is that of salvation, of course, but included is another miracle, that of submission on the part of the Jews that were witnessing what the Holy Spirit was doing. The Gentiles were embracing the Jewish Messiah without becoming Jews. And if you lived in that time of history, in that part of the world, that alone would have been a miracle. We're a little removed from it. It's almost a, just a historical document if we're not careful. The Jews on their side, watching the Gentiles have the same experience with Christ, with the Spirit of God, as they embrace these Gentiles apart from Judaism. So this is a big event. We look down at verse 44 again. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. The Holy Spirit had been waiting for Peter to make a crucial point, and that's found in the preceding verse, in verse 43. And there we read, Peter speaking, whoever believes in him, that is Jesus Christ, will receive remission of sins. Their sins will be dealt with by God himself. 
and uh, removed in that sense because when the wicked stand before God, their sins will be dealt with too, but in a completely different way. Without delay, after that, after that mention of receiving Christ and believing in Him, without delay, there was this instant burst of Christianity. Instantly it happened. And it is forever true. The remission of sins is only through Jesus of Nazareth, and this irritates the world. They don't want it to be that way. They want all roads to lead to heaven, and they do not. And when Jesus said, I am the way, he was saying, there is no other way. All conversions to Christ are not as outwardly spectacular as this one. Still, salvation is through Jesus alone, faith alone in him. Paul wrote, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The Trinity is not three persons, not three separate persons. It's three distinct persons in one. Perhaps a simple illustration that helps us with this is a triangle. One triangle, three separate corners, inseparable, no matter how you turn it, they're there. And Christ, of course, one of the members of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, there are no lesser and greater partners in the Trinity. They are equal. They're God Almighty. This event of these Gentiles coming to this Christ will silence for a little while. It will certainly irritate and provoke the Judaizers. The Judaizers, a little different from those just in Judaism, the Judaizers were those who followed Judaism but also received Jesus as Messiah. But they did not want to leave the law of Moses, the circumcision, the Sabbath, the strict dietary laws and other restrictions. They wanted to keep them. If you wanted to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ and you had to be circumcised and you had to follow the Sabbath and so they were... Uh, They did not understand yet that Christianity and Judaism were irreconcilable. They could not coexist. Christ had made one obsolete. And this was a fight of the apostles, especially Paul, Paul throughout his life. They hounded him so much over this. Well, Jewish converts, when they come to Christ, they are now Christians Jesus said, Mark chapter 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that was received as well as speaking to every creature of Judaism. But that's not what Christ said. And they're going to learn this. They're going to learn. God will use this very moment here where Peter is speaking and God interrupts him. He's going to use this moment to resist the Judaizers when they pounce upon Christianity in the church. If you have your Bible still open, you might want to just turn to Acts chapter 15. We'll get, it in, we'll get some of it in chapter 11 because there's going to be resistance. Peter, what did you do? Going to the Gentiles and living with them? What are you doing? And he's going to have to answer to them. Uh, not in a sense that he's accountable to them, but he is in somewhat, some degree, by consent, he, he wants to give an answer. But in chapter 15, in verse 1... Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. That is what we now know, blasphemous. But it wasn't that way yet for them because they were still learning. Christianity was emerging out of, I mean, the, the, the rules were there, the truths were there. But the people had so much baggage, so many misconceptions that had to be hauled out of the way. As with, Jer- with Nehemiah, the, the rubbish had to, of the ruined walls, the rubbish had to be removed before the building, the rebuilding could, could commence. And they were overwhelmed by it. But Nehemiah, because of his great leadership, he prevailed. Again in chapter 15, and we should know these things. We should know these barriers still exist in some form for us when we try to preach the gospel. Maybe it's in someone has a background in some religion or some uh, offshoot of Christianity, a cult or something. We have to deal with these things just like the apostles did. Look at verse 7 of Acts chapter 15. And when there had been much dispute, Peter arose and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And so this, we're in chapter 15, verse 7, where Luke says there had been much dispute. They were arguing. This wasn't, well, I think. I had brought shouting at each other because they were passionate about the things they believed. And yet, many of them were inept. They weren't, they weren't ready for this. They did not know enough. And that's where the apostles come in. That's why their ministry was so powerful, so important. It's not done, this argument. Look at verse 10 now of Acts chapter 15. Now, therefore, why do you test God, Peter speaking, by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And so Peter shut them down. For a while, there still was going to be trouble. Big, big stuff for the apostles, the early church, and for us to look at and, and review. Because if you come to your Bible and you think, that, oh, it was just this glorious thing. Christ was crucified for us. He rose again from the dead. And the church was given the Holy Spirit <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> at Pentecost. And it just was glorious after that. Well, there was glory involved. There was, much of it was wonderful. But a lot of it was very difficult. It says here in verse, one, uh, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon them all, all those who heard the word. The Holy Spirit fell upon these people gathered. He's speaking about the Gentiles. And again, that word upon, in the original language of the Greek, is epi. They were filled with him. We call it baptism, immersed in the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt the apostles at Pentecost, and later the Jews at the preaching of of the apostles, is the same Holy Spirit with the Gentiles. No double standard. The filling was identical. The witnesses could not refute it. I mentioned last session, it was very wise of Peter to bring Jewish members from the church at Joppa up here to Caesarea. 
In contrast to the Jews, the Gentiles are baptized in the Spirit before being water baptized. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. As I'm speaking these words, I'm very mindful that there are many out there, university professors, these new you know, internet pundits, and everybody's got a welcome to my channel site. And people without computers have those sites. And many of them hate what I'm saying. They, they don't know they're doing the devil's work by doing it. It doesn't really matter because they are. And it needs to be spoken. It needs to be preached. You cannot let Satan institute a gag order on a church. He does many churches. Many churches are afraid to get up and say, as, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Because they feel like they're not being intellectual enough. That there are members in their audience that will scoff at them. Well, they need to send them here. Because I'll scoff at them. And flatten their tires, too. No, I won't do that. Well, at least I won't admit it. Well, God was able to interrupt Peter's words. Why? Because the hearts of his audience had believed what he was speaking. When Peter said, believe in Jesus for the remission of sins in their hearts, they said, I believe. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. Amazing. Still happens without entering Judaism, without being sprinkled as a baby, without earning salvation. All they had to do was receive it. John's Gospel, John writes this. Long after the, the church had been born, John writes his Gospel. He says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You see, this is going to just compound the judgment for those who stand before God and say, yes, I rejected you. In this life. Or yeah, I tried to earn my salvation. Or I didn't believe you. And God said well, it was so simple. All you had to do was receive it. Research it. Check the facts. But they do not. This assembly received it. With conviction in their hearts. They knew they had sins. They knew those sins had to be removed. It was a simultaneous event. Their, their hearts at the same time. At Peter's words were responding. That's not uncommon. Happens all the time at sporting events. Everybody cheers at the same time when something takes place. Maybe someone's giving a speech and everybody starts clapping at the same time. There's nobody that says, okay, now clap. Well, unless you're daytime television, you have the applaud signs. But in unison, their hearts were open. When God finds a preacher who will preach what he is told to preach, this is what the outcome looks like, one of them. Sometimes they just stone them. When a congregation will hear what God has to say, this is what it looks like. 
When a congregation gathers to hear what God has to say, not what they think they want God to say. So you can come to church and say, I'm expecting the pastor to tell me everything's going to be all right. I don't know that everything's going to be all right. I mean, what do you say when in the days when they were burning Christians at the stake? Do you say everything's going to be all right? Well, I guess so. ultimately, in a spiritual sense, yes. Titus chapter 1, Paul speaking about uh, his work in ministry. He says, in due time, Jesus Christ manifested his word through preaching. In due time, he manifested his word through preaching. And that's what Peter is doing. Don't undervalue that. If you're not a preacher in the pulpit, you can support a preacher in the pulpit. That's not a GoFundMe kind of a thing. You can support by prayer. I mean, what what should a, pra- a pastor... Well, one of the first things that you would want from a congregation is for them to pray for him because he knows he's got a bigger bullseye on him just by his office, the position he holds. You also would hope that they... There are not those that think they have the gift of criticism. I've searched my Bible for that gift, and I can't find it. And yet, you can search Christianity, and you can find a lot of that. My friend, one of my pastor friends in New York years ago, he struggles with the English language. He's, a, he's American, born in Brooklyn, which would account for it. And he said, yeah. I may not speak the, the, you know, pronounce words the best way or the way that they should be pronounced. What are you doing for the kingdom? I'm up here preaching. And it was so solid. It was so right. You know, those critics are doing nothing for the kingdom but taking away from it and not honoring this preaching of the word. Satan preaches. He has television. He has the bars. He has all these other forums where he can preach what is important to him as he is trying to brain, uh, I can't say wash. Wash doesn't work well with Satan. He doesn't wash anything. He defiles everything. Well, anyway, this is what it looks like. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Why don't, why don't we see this more in Western civilization? Well, one reason is because Peter is speaking to unbelievers initially. In a sense, they had not yet received Christ. When pastors enter the pulpits today in, in Bible-believing churches, much of the congregation is saved already. So, yeah, you're not going to see it the same way. You see it unfold as it is here. Then there are other congregations that are just not interested in what the Holy Spirit has to say. They're just playing church. And so this is not an insult. I, I'm not saying that, oh, well, it doesn't happen to us because we don't believe. No, I, I believe we believe like they did. When James wrote, Elijah was a man with like passions, it still applies to us, too. They struggle just like we do. Uh, Yeah, granted, there are those that uh, don't believe, but there are also many Christians who do believe. And hopefully, we can keep emotionalism out of our faith because it messes up everything. I'll get back to that in a little bit. All those who heard the word, still here in verse 44, throughout the Bible, God emphasizes his word. How is it then that it is so de-emphasized by many professed Christians that God's word is secondary to so many other experiences? There are those that feel like they can, you know, they have to travel and do this for God and do that for God, but the word is, is just not paramount. 
And I, I, don't un, I don't know where they get that from, except the flesh. How does one make disciples without Scripture? You can't. What can you discipline them to? What can you line them up to? Where is the, the rule of law in the Scripture? I think when we're done with Acts, we're going to bypass Romans and go right into Corinthians. Because Corinthians, we get to see the Apostle Paul try to clean up a mess. A mess in the church. What had taken hold of people in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 45 now of Acts chapter 10. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Well, these are, of course, again, the ethnic Jewish church members from Joppa. Paul, when he writes to the Ephesians, still dealing with this years later, he talks about God breaking down the barriers between races coming to Christ. There should be a race to Christ, but not racism in Christ. Ephesians 2, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. And in that one verse in Ephesians 2, 17, he's saying, God came and he preached to the Gentiles who were way away and the Jews who were closer by reason of their oracles, the Old Testament scripture. But this is Peter. The fishermen, <laughs> I'll be doing that until end of March. So just warning. <laughs> I mean, not here at the same time. We'll take breaks. <laughs> Peter is a fisherman who became a fisher of men by edict of Christ and invitation. He overcame his personal failures in Christ. He made big mistakes as a believer, as an appointed leader in the church. He made them deep into his life. After the resurrection, he's still messing up. And yet, God used him mightily. You can't imagine a New Testament without Peter in it. Andrew, his brother, is the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Little did the two of them know that years later... Peter would be unlocking the kingdom to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles, and in places farther afield. In Jerusalem, in Samaria, Caesarea. None of us can foresee what will happen when God uses us to lead someone to Christ or to minister someone in Christ. We can't see what Jesus is going to make that person right away. It takes time. Well, coming back to this, the Holy Spirit had abolished the circumcision, the dietary laws, the Sabbath restrictions by fulfilling it all their, and all their symbolism in Christ. Oh, many, many professed Christians hold on to these things. We, well, we eat God's way. Well, if God were going to eat, he'd use his mouth. That's eating God's way. I mean, this is acting like, well, we're back to Eden. Eden is gone. <laughs> the whole world's changed since Eden. You don't have those things. The ingredients are all messed up. Everything has been changed. Yeah, eating God's way is, is not being a glutton. That's one way to eat God's way. And I, just over the years, you see these things. They come and they go. And then another one comes. Another, and just, uh, there's no end to something new. And trying to tell Christians, you know, if you just 
Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in communion with the Lord, in fellowship with his people. If you just go with those four, you will have not only a simple faith, but a powerful faith. Not simplistic, but it won't have all these frills attached to it. Uh, This is the template for us. And there's always some Johnny-come-lately telling you that they've got God's way of doing something. And they cherry-pick verses, and if you do not conform to those verses, then you are outside of God's will. Very sad to see this. Anyway, the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. By whom? Who poured the Holy Spirit on these believers? Someone had to do it. God did. Okay, what, what element of God? Was it the Holy Spirit himself pouring himself out? Well, Jesus said this. Uh, we're told in the Bible that uh, this would be the work of Christ. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. John the Baptist speaking. speaking, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's what we see taking place here. This is something God had told his prophets long ago would happen. Jeremiah, you can hear, you can hear the, this, this uh, passion in Jeremiah's words. He says, oh, Yahweh, just by that, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth and say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, worthlessness, and unprofitable things. Will a man make gods for himself which are not gods? Jeremiah's words are being, elements of it, are being fulfilled right here. The Gentiles are coming through the apostle. They sent for Peter. We're, we're not following the lies of Greek mythology. Well, it wasn't mythology to them. It was the Greek gods. It was very real to them at that time. And they're saying, this is not God. And they asked Peter to come, and come he did. Disciples of Christ, not disciples of Moses. You know what Moses would say to that? After the resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit, And the preacher stands up and says, we are disciples of Jesus Christ, not disciples of Moses. You know what Moses would say? He would say, amen. Everything I preached was pointing to the coming of the anointed one, the incarnate God, Jesus Christ. Verse 46, well, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered. Well, the tongues were used here as proof. Tongues have been used as trouble in the church so often. Such a, it has such a little place in Scripture, but such a, it makes such a big problem. How great a forest, how great a fire, a little, uh, no, how great a forest, a little fire will kindle. That's right. I'm sorry, just proving to you once again my errors are correct. <laughs> Something uh, about tongues, that we, we just need to talk about it. Because there are others who are confused, and they will confuse you if you're not careful. These men had witnessed these other, these Gentiles speaking in tongues, and I'll define that briefly in a moment. They could not def- refute this. They could not dismiss it. The way God entered in, he said, God said, I'm going to come in. I'm going to burst into this in such a way 
that there'll be no mistake and you'll never forget it. And this is exactly what he did and that's why tongues were effective for him at this time on that day. They witnessed God at work. Nothing was casual about this. This wasn't a bunch of intellectual people saying, you know, Peter, we agree with what you're saying. Not that that would have been wrong, but it's so much more powerful. The gift, the gift is not the tongues. The gift is the Holy Spirit. The tongues are just an outward sign that the Holy Spirit is doing something himself right here, right now. Confirming their conversion by pouring evidence upon them because that's what was needed. True tongues, as used in the New Testament, are an ecstatic language of praise to God. I got a new big bumper put on my truck, so if I hit any deer, I don't have to slow down. (laughs) I haven't seen any deer since I got it, but I found a leaflet. And it was written in deer. <laughs> Watch out for that guy in his truck. My, it was an, that would be another language, right? Of course, it didn't happen. If any of you out there looking in the woods for this leaflet, you're not going to find it. But anyway, it's another language. Tongues is another language. It is a, a language, a language from heaven to praise God. It's a little different from the day of Pentecost when the apostles spoke and people heard them in their language. That's a different kind of tongue than the tongue that is here magnifying God. And Paul has to teach on this as he moves forward. An aesthetic language given only by God. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. How much more plain does that have to be? Because you'll see people speak in tongues and then give you a prophecy interpretation. That's not what tongues are. If God wants to give a prophecy, he uses the language, the vernacular of the people. Why does he have to go around the corner like this? Well, you say, well, then why does he have to praise it? It's because it is an emotional experience on a separate level. It goes outside the normal. And it is not to be that uh, tool used to interrupt the gift of teaching the word of God. He continues, Paul does, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries, unless there is an interpreter. God gives Peter the ability to interpret the tongues of these Gentiles on this day. He is able to say what they were saying. He says they're magnifying God. And to magnify God is to see him big. God is big. Man's God is tiny, very small, very petty. To magnify is not to make something bigger. It is to see it as bigger. And the Old Testament prophets were all over that. Job chapter 36, verse 24. Remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Way back in the days of Job before, this is outside of Judaism, they were praising the Lord in song. Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify Yahweh with me, and let us exalt his name together. Well, then that psalm, of course, they're doing it in the Hebrew, 
Tongues is an ecstatic, as a, a divine language given to us and not to everyone, nor does it have to be given to everyone. Psalm 69.30, we're talking about magnifying the Lord. Tongues is used to do just that. I will praise the name of God with song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. And for some people, the emotions run so high, they burst into this other language. It's a gift. But again, not, not for everyone. It is a form of adoration. And I believe in tongues, and I believe in the rules given about tongues in the scripture concerning the assembly. And it is, um, I don't think it should be repeated like this because it's not the same thing. Again, these are, this is not an assembly of believers gathered before Peter. Maybe I've lost some of you with this. If you've ever dealt with people who argue tongues, you're probably listening very intently. If you've not dealt with people in tongues, you're probably saying, what is he talking about? Well, the education of Christianity comes from the Scripture, and the Scripture teaches about these things, and we have to cover them. That's what expositional teaching is all about, or at least hopes to be. First Corinthians, so before I read First Corinthians, so you get someone that says, well, I just couldn't help myself. I was so into worshiping God. I just couldn't help myself. And I started interfering with everybody because I was full of the spirit. I doubt that. You're full of yourself, probably. And here's what Paul says about this stuff. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. First Corinthians 14, 32. In other words, don't go, go, go claim that, you know, I lost control of everything. God, the Holy Spirit, does not put us out of control. Tongues are no indicator of spiritual rank. Uh-oh, you don't speak in tongues? You're just a corporal. I speak in tongues every day. That makes me a general. Uh, it doesn't, it, it, it's not true. Never, never are tongues given to show off. And yet people do this all the time. Oh, look at me. You, some of you have gone to churches where the same person gets up at the same time during the service and blurts out in tongues. And no one throws ice water on them. Because that would stop it, wouldn't it not? Pepper spray would be another way. to. <laughs> it's not tongues. You're interrupting the service. You're drawing all the attention to you. We're not here to watch you do this every t- Sunday morning at 945. I was a new Christian, but I had read through the Bible, and I attended a church. I'm not going to say which denomination, and the same person would get up every Sunday and do it. And I would just say to myself every time, it's not in the Bible. The Bible says don't do this. Churches that say, listen, the Word of God is paramount. We're going to reduce the distractions. you know how much blowback they get from Christians on this? Okay, look, you cannot bring a hoagie sandwich into the service this morning. No, you can't have your double latte and and whatever else you drink. No, a bottle of water is not permitted during service. You'll make it. Trust me. Old McDonald had a church. E-I-E-I-O. And here a swig, there a swig, everywhere a swig, swig. What would that do? You're trying to teach it. I'm probably goofy doing it. So you just say, can you just wait? No, we can't wait. I have a medical condition. No, you don't. You might have a mental condition, but you don't have a... Me- there are some people that do have a medical di- condition where they've got to have water every 15 minutes. They've got to watch online. I mean, what if the person had to be bonic plague? Well, we've got to make a place for them. Not here. I mean, it's just that there are restrictions. 
And of course, we won't even go into the children in the sanctuary one. Whoa. <laughs> My pastor put the kids' ministry down the block. <laughs> Seriously. You go to Calvary Chapel Coast Mesa, where's the children's ministry? Well, you get on the 3-4 bus, and you take it down. It's just because the purpose, and, and, and in that church, seats 2,000 people. Once you get up to go out the sanctuary during the service, you don't get back in. The ushers will take you out. I mean, it's like, you know, because you imagine, you know, 1,000 people watching someone speak, and one gets up, one in. And who's, everybody's looking at the person getting up. What about the person that has to stand up when he's not supposed to stand up and they're praising God? Well, who, who's now listening to the word? You're watching, Mr. Look How Spiritual I Am. This happens all the time. Calvary Chapel comes along to a neighborhood and says, you know, we're not going to do that. Oh, man. Knives come out. And uh, it, it hurts to see it because I think that they missed the point. The word of God is so important that Satan hates it. And he wants to shut it up. And he wants Christians to be dumbed down. He doesn't want you to receive expositional teaching from the word of God through the system of God. He just wants you to feel the faith and just know enough Christianity. Uh, That's what he would be satisfied with. You say, well, you're offending me. Well, I'm not trying to offend you. But if you're guilty, then you have to be offended or else you can't be corrected. To convict, to rebuke, to exhort. That's the role of the pastor. Doing what I'm doing now when we come to it. He is supposed to correct aberrant behavior as defined in scripture. Many Christians say, thank you, Lord. And a small element will protest. And that's the way it's going to be. Well, coming back to this, there's no mention of uh, Paul, the apostle, speaking in tongues when he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9. Tongues is not that important. The Samaritans, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We read about that in Acts chapter 8. No mention of tongues there. There's no mention of tongues at the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch who clearly was filled with the Holy Spirit when he says, what prohibits me from being baptized? I love the Lord. Hmm. When Paul prayed for the Colossians, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, he lists the critical needs of believers. Things like spiritual discernment, faith, wisdom, signs of righteousness in their behavior, and in their works, and in their fruit. But he omits tongues. Well, that would be odd if tongues were an imperative to salvation, to Christianity. So the bottom line is, tongues is a gift, but there are other gifts. No one gets them all. We get what we need, and God is the one that assigns them. And it is too bad that this has become a hot point in the church because it has really no basis from Scripture to be such uh, trouble as it is in some circles. It is so up north in New York, for example. A lot of people um, are tripped up by this. I haven't ran into too many of them here in the south. And the ones that I have run into, I've eliminated. (laughs) They've sent to the cornfield. No. All right, well, back to this. Now, some of you might think that's not funny. Because you don't have the gift of humor. (laughs) You need need to pray. Come up, see them. You know, Pastor, I never laugh. All right, come back to this now. Uh... 
It is to be noted in the book of Acts. You know, I didn't press the timer. Okay, so now we start. Sorry. So now if I look at my watch, what time we usually finish? Like 12, 11.45? Any other pastors? No, thank you, Sean. Um, and where, where was I? Uh, tongues in the book of Acts, they occur only in the presence of the apostles. Incidentally, just saying. Uh, if you have the gift of tongues, I encourage you to speak it when you're in prayer and home and, and in your prayer closet, especially. Let it go. But if it becomes that thing that begins to draw attention to you or to interfere with what uh, other things God is doing, you need to lock it down exercise discipline and restraint. Um, this, um, I want to move on from this. The, I'll, I'll close it up with this, by saying this. Sometimes tongues accompany the filling of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it does not. And that's what the Bible preaches. And that's why I mentioned when uh, the, the various groups were filled with the Spirit and the omissions of the tongues. Paul encouraged believers to earnestly desire the best gifts. What is that? Well, love, he says, pursue love, but desire the best gifts. It's what's needed. If I'm in another country, say a third world country, as we call them, uh, maybe I need different gifts than what I would need here in uh, a country that is more developed. God will decide that. Anyway, coming back to this. I do believe tongues, uh, I, the gifts have not stopped. Otherwise, Paul would have said, get them while they're hot. Uh, but I do believe that the gifts are continuous. Verse 47, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Peter is still amazed at what's going on. All of them are. The emotions are running very high at this moment. And he says to them, Object now or forever hold your peace. If you, don't like the, if, you, if you don't like the fact the Holy Spirit has done for the Gentiles, just as he's done for the Jews, then let's hear you say it now. It was conclusive. No objections. Radical development in the history of the church and Christianity. Water baptism announces our commitment to Christ. It is our signature. I'm signing Write my name down. I'll write my name down. Where do I sign up? Water baptism says right here. I've signed up. Symbolically, my sins are washed away. Symbolically, the old me before Christ is dead. All those views that I had before Christ have died. And when I come up out of the water, it's a new me. Washed, cleansed by the Lamb. Everything now is filtered through Him. He says, receive. Verse 47, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit? See, there's that principle of salvation. The Greek word lambano means just that, to receive it, to take hold of it. Full incorporation into, into Christianity by faith alone in Christ alone. Why do I repeat myself? Because these are the things that we Christians ought to say when we have a chance to witness to lost souls. Salvation is through Christ alone, by faith alone, in Christ. When we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is inclusive of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for Jesus taught that. 
In California, that used to be a big problem, big group walking around saying you have to be baptized in Jesus' name only. And again, cherry-picking the scriptures uh, where they lose sight of what Jesus said in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, coming now to verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So it was a command. We are commanded to be baptized. That doesn't mean uh, if, you, if you're not baptized, you still go to heaven by belief in Christ alone. But still the commandment remains. We are to be water baptized. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of work in that verse. To make a disciple, a lot of work, a lot of years. It takes for us to develop in the presence of others. Acts chapter 10, verse 6. I want to, before I read that, let me set it up. Here they asked, uh, here Peter stays. They asked him to stay a few days, verse 48. This is what they did with Christ also. They asked Christ to stay with them. The Samaritans did. John's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 40 and 41. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And there again is the preaching of the word. When Simon was told by the angel to send for Peter, he was told, Peter will tell you what you have to do. And Peter did that. He talked about the remission of sins and receiving Christ. And after they did that, then Peter commanded that they should be baptized. Acts 10, verse 6. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So, becoming a Christian means you submit. You come under orders. You, uh, the, the centurion that sent for Christ, my servant is dying. Can you come? And as Christ was coming to heal the servant, the centurion sent messengers and said, you're not worthy. This is, this is a Gentile. I'm not worthy for you to come to me. I am a commander. And I tell a man to go and he goes. I tell him to come and he comes. I have that authority. You have that authority. I see, Jesus, that you can tell the demons to go and they go. You can tell the sickness to leave and it leaves. Jesus applauded this. He said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. And the servant, of course, was healed that, that hour. Well, Christ, he came as a servant under authority of the Holy Spirit and his Father. I always do those things that he wills. He had authority because he was under authority. When you learn to be under authority, there's an authority that is created within your own life. Unless, of course, you are just that proverbial drama queen where you have to insert into every experience trouble, a confrontation, a conflict, a you being right and everybody else being wrong, a you being uh, mistreated and everybody else is mistreating you. It's always something. It's never a smooth sea with you. You could be among friends. You're still looking for an opportunity to bite them. Don't do that. Come to Christ. 
come under the authority. It, um, it is authority by consent, and it is how things get done effectively in Christianity. It seems that those six men that accompanied, uh, the, 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 not the six men, but the men that followed Peter from Joppa, that they conducted the baptism because he says to them, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord instead of actually doing it himself. Well, Christ, we're told, he didn't do the baptizing. He delegated it to the apostles. Saved apart from strict Judaism. But Peter kicked the hornet's nest. His Christian countrymen in Jerusalem are going to stumble over this. They're going to be waiting for him when he gets back. And we get that in chapter 11. It's a painful read. I don't enjoy reading about conflict amongst Christians in the scripture. Because I live it as a pastor. It's just, you know, maybe, maybe you have a job uh, uh, that, uh, maybe you're a, t- a school teacher. And you don't want to come to church and teach in classrooms too. That's understandable. We pick to do something else. Uh, for, for me, when I come across the confrontations in the Bible, I'd rather skip them. I'd rather skip Corinthians. I'd rather go to Revelation, where just the bad people get beat up. But I try to be under authority. I try to listen and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he knows how to either tell me straight out or bring to the surface a dominant sentiment that won't go away. And I know that's the leading. That's where I, I have to go. If I keep, What are we going to do in uh, Kings when, when we're done with Kings? Well, the leading I'm getting now are the minor prophets. And the minor prophets are to the Old Testament what Paul's epistles are to the New Testament. Dealing with the Jewish people that were pushing back on authority. The authority of God's word, the authority of the prophets, the authority of God. This will cause, this very moment here in Acts chapter 10, in this section we have this morning, it will cause a silent uprising. And it will last until the the last apostle is dead, until enough Gentiles come into the church. They will hound Paul on this matter. Because Paul will articulate better than anyone why we as Christians are not under Mosaic law. Well, let's pray. I don't know what time it is. Let's pray. I should add, we've, after we get past these confrontations, which are very beneficial to us, we've got still some exciting passages. passages. We haven't even gotten to the ministry of the Apostle Paul as he moves out into the Gentile world. Let's pray. Our Father, once again, your word so many truths captured for us to teach us how to serve you. None of us know how to serve you without you. We're very grateful. If there is someone listening this morning, you've not opened your heart to Christ, but as you've been listening, you know Christ is calling you, inviting you to come to him, to be full of his Holy Spirit to receive his touch. If you'd like to give your life to Christ right now, then do it. Follow this prayer with me, this template of a prayer. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I ask you to forgive me. There's no one else who can. I ask that this day 
you would be the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul. And I give my life to you right now. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer, may they not be ashamed of it. In Jesus' name, amen.